are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. And then we're going to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gesemaret, and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. All right. Thank you, Carol. Well, as Josh started to point out there with our kids, you don't have to live too many years in life to see the power of nature on display. And sure, we're a little more insulated from the weather in our time with our air-conditioned, sturdy, and shingled houses. If a storm comes through in the night, you know, the biggest irritation for us is you might get woken from your sleep. And yet all the same, you don't have to live long before witnessing the power of nature. I remember as a kid growing up in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, having to take cover in our basement with a babysitter. 
as the tornado sirens were wailing. And probably because it was a babysitter, I remember being a little more apprehensive that mom and dad weren't home. But there we went down the stairs with the flashlight and the radio. And then as the years go by, as we all get older, we add new memories to the list. Probably most of us been in rain that is so hard and heavy that you've got to pull the car over because you can't even see. Or thunder and lightning that makes you jump out of your skin. Or racing off the lake to beat the storm as you see it coming. Or a plane ride that you will never forget and never want to repeat. We human beings are capable of many, many things. But we cannot control the force of nature. In a similar way, we can't control the various events that come upon us in our life. Yeah, we all make choices that affect our circumstances and have certain outcomes, but there are so many ways, aren't there, in which we are simply not in control. And we may feel left to battle it out on our own. That's what today's scripture readings are about. Not so much about our own situation or strategy or sorrow, but about the one who steers us through it. This summer we're studying the Gospel of Mark under the title, Jesus the King. And today we see that he is king over all creation, even when that creation kicks and careens our lives out of control. We have two passages before us today, and both of these stories we've actually looked at in the past, each one on their own. Yet today I felt led to take them up together, that we would set them side by side and see what Jesus is teaching us out there on the water. There are, of course, many things in these stories that are unique to one or the other, and yet what has caught my attention this year is the overlap And it's that that I want to look at with you and share the five things that I found in Mark 4 and Mark 6 on the Sea of Galilee. The title of our message this morning is, Who Stills the Roaring of the Seas? And whether that is a question or a statement of faith is yours to consider. So lesson number one, following Jesus means leaving the crowd behind. Story number one. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. And then Mark 6, you can have to flip back and forth or follow on the screen. Our second story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So you see as they're side by side, you see the similarities here? Both times, whose idea is it to leave? It's Jesus. He is the one who leads his disciples away from the crowd, away from the noise, away from the busyness, and away from the allure of fame. And we recognize here the disciples would have really rather stayed. They loved the attention. They wanted Jesus to harness this crowd and march against Rome. But Jesus? Well, he did come to minister to people. There's no doubt about that. But there's also reason to pull away. In the first instance, it's so they can go to the other side, 
And what Jesus means there is to the Gentile side of the lake, the other side of the tracks, we might say, where there is a demon-possessed man who Jesus is going to meet in the next chapter. In the second story, the second instance, it says Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And that word is a strong word in Greek that means he compelled them. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. And the parallel in John's gospel says that the people wanted to make him king by force. Something the disciples would have been thrilled with. But Jesus says an emphatic no and shoos them away into the boat. He says, it's time to leave the crowd. And he goes away to pray. What do we learn from this? Well, we learn that though our time with people is important, there is a time to go away. Sometimes because the Lord has another assignment for us. And sometimes because the temptation of earthly things is strong and it's time to pray. And sometimes our crowds aren't necessarily people either, at least not solely. I want to point that out. Sometimes our crowds are our schedules or our kids' schedules or our sports or screens. Social media has been around long enough now that you can read any number of studies that show a direct relationship to depression, anxiety, anger, and irritability. Does that mean social media is all bad? That's not what I'm saying. I hope you might check out the Y Church on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. (laughs) But there's got to be a time when you leave the crowd behind. And this habit of leaving the crowd behind will make you uncommon. There's lots of people who are part of the crowd. That's its very definition. And the crowd does what crowds will do. They move en masse from one thing to the next, like a swarm of bees. And note this, the crowd does not get into the boat to follow Jesus. Only a few do that. And I hope that you will be among them. And that leads to our next commonality in these two stories. Number two, sooner or later, you'll be in a boat at sea in a storm in the middle of the night. Both of these stories happen at night. The first story says that it was evening when Jesus said, let's go. And the second story says that the disciples were straining at the oars at night. In fact, when Jesus comes walking, it was the fourth watch just before dawn. Now night in the Bible is a scary time. And yet really, not just in the Bible, as kids, we all know what it's like to have nightmares or to be afraid of the dark. And if for some reason you're outside, then that fear can be all the greater. I remember growing up camping, and the absolute worst thing was having to get up in the night and go to the bathroom. And it probably didn't help that I'd read that delightful little true story called Night of the Grizzlies. For Jesus' disciples, they were out in the middle of the sea. No lights on that boat. Miles out on a huge lake, a hundred feet deeper than Mille Lacs, and subject to violent storms that would come down from the mountains, Mount Hermon there to the northeast. That's the situation in the first story. 
that this is a storm so bad that it makes grown men cry. These are experienced fishermen, at least a bunch of them, in the boat, who had been on the sea almost every day of their life. And this storm is so bad that they shake Jesus awake and they say, don't you care if we drown? Now in the second story, it's a different situation. There, it's not that they're in danger, but the wind is so strong that they cannot make any progress. They are rowing all night, being battered by the wind. That word battered is a word that means tormented or tortured, and the result is physical and mental exhaustion. And I wonder who of us might be in that kind of place right now. You're in a boat at sea in a storm in the middle of the night wondering how you ended up here and how you're ever going to get out. The Bible says that we live in a fallen world that is subject to violent storms and surprises. And maybe you have felt a few in your day. There are forces at work that would seek to destroy us as we live in a world that is under sin's curse and still under Satan's sway. Sickness, betrayal, accidents, accusations, and greed. Conflict, lawsuits, job loss, addiction, and death. All of these things and so many more are evidence of sin and evil. And so we need a Savior, don't we? One who sees us in the storm and who gets into our boat with us. I think it's fascinating that already by the second century, the church pictured itself as a ship, buffeted, vulnerable, and tossed about, but a ship with a captain and a life-saving plan. James G. Williams says, the boat becomes an image of those who travel in intimate fellowship with Jesus. Let me say that again. The boat becomes an image of those who travel in intimate fellowship with Jesus, separated from other followers and the masses who stand on the security of the shore. So here we are, in the boat. But that doesn't make us heroic travelers, does it? Observation number three from these two stories. The disciples were afraid, helpless, and lacking in faith. And each of these three is to be noted. First, we see their fear. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In the first story. And in story number two, it literally says they feared a great fear. Some of you right in this moment know what it means to fear a great fear. The writer William Faulkner said, the basest of all things is to be afraid. And yet, who is above the long reach of fear? Experienced sailors in this boat, lifelong fishermen, people of faith, and yet even as Christ followers, we grapple with fear. Did you note the word terrified appears in both of these stories this morning? 
And not just that, but the disciples were also helpless. In the first story, they wake Jesus like Jonah and they say, how can you sleep? And in the second story, they're straining at the oars for hours, not making an inch of progress. They're supposed to be strong and capable and experienced and they're helpless. In what area of your life do you feel helpless right now? Maybe there's more than one. Or maybe there's one place in particular. I take great encouragement from the fact that in both of these stories, Jesus shows up right on time. Even when the disciples get it all wrong and they hit the panic button, Jesus is the center of the story. And I don't want to mix metaphors too much this morning, but it does make me think of that line about sheep that Jesus says in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But back to fishing. The third thing we see in these disciples is their lack of faith. And some of you know this experience firsthand because we have literally been out fishing and not caught even a bite. Oh, ye of little faith, right? My son outfished me last weekend. I'm still working through this and going to get back at him today. But the disciples are in a boat at sea in a storm in the middle of the night and their faith falters against it. And forgive the double negative, but there is no one this cannot happen to. The first American-born missionary to head overseas was a man named Adoniram Judson. He was born near Boston in 1788. At the age of 25, he felt God's call on his life to set sail for Burma. It's what we now call Myanmar. Others from other parts of the world had been there before to share the gospel, but no one had stayed. And it took Adoniram and his wife Anne three years just to learn the language, studying 12 hours a day. Four years before they felt they could speak well enough to hold a worship service, and 10 years, a decade, to see 18 people come to faith in Christ. At the 11-year mark, Adoniram was arrested, and let's just say, not treated very well. For 20 months, he was imprisoned, and when he finally made it out, Anne, his wife, died of illness, leaving him with their little girl, Maria. Six months later, Maria died of illness. And Adoniram Judson, one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the Western world, wrote in his journal, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Don't you care if we drown? Who here is asking that question? Many of us will at some point in our life. And Jesus in his grace, responds. Lesson number four. Do not be afraid 
but have courage and faith in Christ. In the first story, Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And in the second, he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. One thing not to be, and that is afraid. Two things to have, and that is courage and faith. David Garland says, Faith flings wide the gates to receive his power and casts out all fear. Notice it doesn't necessarily fix it, but it casts out fear. Have you ever wondered, if you've studied this story before, how is it that Jesus could sleep in the middle of a storm? It is the only recorded instance of Jesus sleeping in all of the Gospels, and it is in a life-threatening storm. Was it a supernatural sleep? Maybe. Or was it that Jesus was so exhausted from having taught all day, verses 1 to 34? Maybe. Or was it that Jesus had entrusted himself to God? Psalm 3, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Psalm 4, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Some of us have tried every trick in the book to get good sleep at night. Supplements, sleep meds, nightcaps, bubble baths. How about trusting Jesus? And I don't say that to oversimplify the matter. I just know in general in my life there have been far too many times where I didn't go to Jesus first and learn to trust him. Let's define the terms we're talking about here. What is fear? Fear is a lack of confidence in God. Faith is when I trust him. If I'm fearful, and that's the term that Jesus uses here, I'm unable to respond to a crisis with confidence in God. And confidence in God, faith, trust, is the mark of true discipleship. Now these things I recognize can be very easy to say in the classroom, but sooner or later, we're going to need them out in the field. So let's be equipped in them now. And I know that some of us will carry these things right into this next week. And that brings us to our final lesson today, and this is the most important of them. Number five, Jesus, the Son of God, has authority over all creation, and He cares for His children. In the first story, we have the first recorded nature miracle in the Gospel of Mark. And we see Mark has been systematically showing us who Jesus is by virtue of his authority. He has authority over illness and authority over demons. We don't even get out of chapter 1 and we see that. He has authority to teach and authority to forgive. He has authority over the Sabbath and authority over death. Now add this one to the list. He has authority over all creation. Story one. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, 
be still. R.T. France says he rebukes the lake as if it were an unruly heckler. It's the language you'd use when you tell your dog to be quiet. Fimao is the word. It means literally to close the mouth with a muzzle. And that's really the tone of it. In the words of the great Chris Farley, shut your big yapper. Who says that to a storm? And the storm obeys. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. That's the first story. In the second, Jesus walks on the lake as if he is out for a Sunday stroll. I almost imagine him whistling as he goes along. It says he's going to pass by the disciples' boat. That's how easy this is for him. He owns the lake and the wind and the waves too. He doesn't even need to say anything in the second story. He just steps into the boat and the whole place falls silent. Like the conductor, if you've been to the orchestra, steps up on the podium and... Only God has this kind of authority over creation. And that's what Jesus is saying to all who will listen. He is the sovereign Son of God, the Messiah, and His kingdom has come. You and I might be in a boat at sea in a storm in the middle of the night, but our King has come. And I wonder, do you recognize Him? Do you hear His voice above the storm? Do you know His presence on the sea? Here's what his word says to us today, and, and this is what I want us to remember. Jesus has authority over all creation, and you can trust him in every situation. I want to close this morning with these words from an old commentary on the Gospel of Mark by A.E.J. Rawlinson. Listen carefully. He says, Faint hearts may even have begun to wonder whether the Lord Himself has not abandoned them to their fate or to doubt the reality of Christ. But they are not forsaken. The Lord watches over them unseen, and He Himself, Master of wind and waves, will come quickly for their salvation, even though it be the fourth watch of the night. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, You are awesome and mighty. We see it on full display. At the same time, Lord, You are the one who made us who loves us and sees us. And Lord, You know how small and fragile our faith can be. You know the things that cause us fear and that perhaps even now threaten to pull us under. And I pray, Lord, for each one who's here today and everyone who's listening, 
that you would give us faith and courage that is so far beyond ourselves, that is bigger than anything we're facing. We ask, Lord, that you would still our fears, that you'd quiet the storm and bring us through to safe haven. We ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.